So what is it? Creation or evolution? It's right there in the first book of the Bible. Either God made everything in six days like it says, or the Bible is a false document. I get asked sometimes, where does Swedenborg fall on this issue? And the truth is, he's in a completely different conversation. What if this text is giving us accurate information, but not about something remote in the distant past, about something that's happening today in our lives? It is a creation story, but a creation story of an omnipresent, omnipresent creation, happening just as much in this moment as it ever has. The subject of this chapter, what it means and why, is actually what Swedenborg began his spiritual writing phase with, the very first thing out of his pen, and we're going to take a look at it tonight. Stay tuned. Ooh, I stumbled on a word. Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Perhaps you guys heard I had a little trouble with the word omnipresent in the opening, but that proves, doesn't it prove that we do it live? Or <laughs> maybe I messed it up in a recording and we just kept it? No, man. It's all live. That's what makes it so real. Uh, my name is Curtis Childs. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, and I'm really happy to be doing this again on Monday night with all of you. It's really fun to take these journeys, and this is going to be a good one. It's going to be a complicated, fun, exciting thing for me and hopefully for you. You can be a part of it, get your questions in, your comments, all that, and we'll try to display them, chat about them in the finale of the show. So we want to hear your voices as well. So if you're watching this show, if you've watched the intro to it, you know that that intro always starts with this image. What is that in that guy's head? And maybe if you studied it a bit, you maybe guessed that those are images of the days of creation from the book of Genesis. So that's been a part of the show. Also, if you look behind me, right, ooh, right up there, that's one of those same pictures. We used to have them all on the walls here. So these days of creation are a big part of the show. Why are they a big part of the show? Plus, this is the days of creation, like we said in the intro, is the first thing Swedenborg ever wrote about. And why did he do that? And not only that, he said that it is the story of really the point of life. So that's enough important things converging into one that we felt like we had to do an episode on it. So we're going to get into it tonight, see what it all means. We're going to delve further into this idea of correspondences and really give you an essential tool because you can't really navigate Swedenborg without getting a sense of how he treats the text of the Old and New Testaments, because it's all over his works. It's what he started with. He devoted most of his writing to it. So we're going to take a look at how he gets through it now, and we're going to take a look at a very famous, interesting segment of the, maybe the most recognizable segment of the Bible, and that's the story of creation. So we're going to walk our way through that and learn what he said it meant. And if we're going to go through it, I think we should start right at the very beginning. So, as we said, this is the story of the creation of everybody. And let's watch, how does everybody's creation begin? In the beginning, God created heaven and earth, and the earth was void and emptiness, and there was darkness on the face of the abyss, and the Spirit of God was constantly moving on the face of the water. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, 
that it was good, and God made a distinction between light and darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning, the first day. Probably heard that before, and you may be wondering, what are those highlighted segments? And we're going to get to that in a second. Uh, Swedenborg actually gives the inner meaning of all of these, every word, every phrase in it. We're just going to jump to some important ones to give you a sense of what is the creation story about and how is it relevant and, and what is this inner meaning. So this first day of creation is about the beginning of our spiritual life. Uh, this day is when we go from initially being absorbed in ego concerns and materialism to realizing that there is something else and something higher. So how is this about it? You look at the literal sense, it seems to be talking about physics and light. Uh, how is that about a person? So let's break it down phrase by phrase and look for what Swedenborg was talking about Let's begin with the very beginning. In the beginning, that phrase. So this is, Swedenborg is positing, you know, this whole, this whole discussion about evolution versus uh, creationism. In the United States, in the schools, you have people fighting which should be taught. That all came about because people look at this and they say, this is a description of how the world was created, and that it takes seven days, really just six days. So if anybody's saying that it's billions of years old and there is a different process, then they're declaring war on God. So we got so there's this whole mess. But Swedenborg is saying this is not about the physical creation of the universe. This is about the creation of our spiritual lives. And in the beginning is the beginning of each of our lives, but not our lives in the sense of when we were born physically, but the beginning of our spiritual lives. Swedenborg said that that what we would call good, loving other people thinking about others, accepting things from the divine, that spiritual life, and being closed up and self-centered, uh, vengeful, hateful, that would, what we would call egocentric, that is spiritually dead. So initially, we're all kind of born completely thinking about ourselves. You know, we go through our teenage years uh, and start to get into young adulthood. There's sort of this light that can start to go on, you know, at different times for different people's lives. Hey, there are other people out there. There are other things that matters, and this that's when the creation story begins. So in the beginning is when we first begin to receive spiritual life, or the life of the mind and the heart. So let's take a look at the, at the face of the abyss. This comes up just afterwards, saying there was darkness on the face of the abyss, and the face of the abyss, that's us, man. That, the, the dark water, you can picture it, and we're going to help you by giving you an image, that is like a human mind when there's just a mass of ego, negative, Swedenborg would call them hellish things. You know, we're worried about reputation. We don't like it when someone upsets us. We want things our way. We want creature comforts and it, over the needs of others. There's just, and we're also mistaken about the ultimate reality of things. It's just like a big mass of dark water, and that's the face of the abyss. Swedenborg describes it this way in Secrets of Heaven 18. The face of the abyss means our cravings and the falsities these, these give rise to. We are wholly made up of cravings and falsities and wholly surrounded by them. Because no ray of light is in us, we are like an abyss or something disorganized and dim. And I want to say, this is not uh, the language he's, you could say he's just pulling this out of nowhere. He's going, oh, well, you know, water happens to symbolize the things in our minds in this instance. But it's a self-consistent system. Water is always having to do with intellectual things, truth or falsity, depending on its particular context. So all these things 
uh, we're just giving you an introduction to them, but they all link together, and within the text of the Old and New Testaments, as Swedenborg describes them, they're consistent in their meaning. So there's a whole language that we're learning. You have to take my word for it, or go check out his books further, where he gives all these cross-references and all that. So we're the abyss, and as we, as you probably have heard before, uh, to the abyss, God speaks some very famous words. He says, let there be light. And that right there, have you ever seen that in real life? It's gorgeous. Like out towards the horizon, light streaming through the clouds onto the body of water. And when you see that image and it lifts you up, it's because that is a physical representation of the truth of God or, or the idea that there's something higher, love first touching a mind and starting to open it. That's what we're seeing right there. And that's what it means here when God says, let there be light. And this Swedenborg describes it this way in Secrets of Heaven 20. You'll see we're just working our way through the beginning of Secrets of Heaven, because this is what he's doing in that book, is showing the meaning of this and how it applies uh, to everybody. The first step is taken when we begin to realize that goodness and truth are something transcendent. As we advance further into the light, it dawns on us that the Lord exists and that He is goodness and truth itself. So the first light into that ego, dark kind of mind is, oh, there's something better. There's something more than this. Goodness and truth are something that is transcendent. There is a whole, there's a better life that we can have. And then as you get farther, you start to realize this better life is coming from, from a being and that this being is the source of everything that I really actually want to have my life be around. So that's how we first move out of the formless void. But it doesn't stop there. There's a lot more to come and let's take a look now at how it progresses once we have had this initial phase. Let's move on to day two. So the expanse. This day is about a little bit of organization. So let's see where the story goes from here. And God said, let there be an expanse in the middle of the waters, and let it exist to make a distinction among the waters in the waters. And God made the expanse, and he made a distinction between the waters that were under the expanse and the waters that were over the expanse. And so it was done. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. So there's no fluff, there's no filler. We, we are highlighting a few different terms there and looking at those, but uh, if you go into Secrets of Heaven, you'll see that every phrase is meaningful. Even that there was evening and there was morning the second day, that's not just a filler. That has to do with within these stages, there are states of individual progression. We're not going to go into it now, but we are just flying through this to give you a general sense. So, in terms of general senses, the second day is about when we come to realize that there is both an inner and an outer self in us, and we're starting to be able to tell the difference between them. So that's what it's about. We realize there's a part of me that's sort of lower, or outer. this is not necessarily the person I have to be, and there's something better that I found inside. So this is how the verse relates to it. The expanse, it talks about this expanse formed in the waters. And it's kind of confusing 
in the literal sense, uh, that what is this, what is an expanse with the waters over and under? I think people have taken it to mean that's the horizon line or the separation between the sea and the sky, right? So the expanse is our inner self. And then there are these waters over the expanse and under the expanse. So there's this sense of organizing. And remember, waters are truths or ideas. So there's, there's an organizing of the waters. Uh, and it's easier to understand if we have a little diagram of it, which we have prepared for you here. So, the inner self is that dividing line there, and everything above is within our inner self. This is the spiritual knowledge, the higher concepts that we have, and everything outside are the facts in our outer self. So the part of us that's more superficial, sense-oriented, mundane, it's fine, it's a good thing, but there's, there's something higher, and this whole process is about getting the two to relate to each other correctly. So this is the scene being described here, that the divine is first starting to differentiate and organize us, and we're becoming aware, oh, there's a whole sky up there, there's a water, and then we're seeing the difference between them. Swedenborg describes it in Secrets of Heaven 24, it says, while we are being reborn, our outer self is such that it still believes we are acting on our own when we do what is good and speaking on our own when we speak what is true. The Lord uses those things, allowing them to seem like our own, since such is our mindset, to lead us to do what is good and speaking what is true. Consequently, we first learn to distinguish what is under the expanse. Only then do we learn to distinguish what is over the expanse. Another secret from heaven is that the Lord leads us by means of things that really are our own, both the illusions of our senses and our cravings, but diverts us toward things that are true and good. So every single moment of regeneration carries us forward from evening to morning, just as it takes us from the outer self to the inner, or from earth to heaven. This is why the expanse, or the inner self, is now called heaven. So you see there that... God or the divine is the source of life, is the source of truth, is the source of love. Everything we would call good is coming. But it doesn't feel like that to us initially. We think that that's not the system. We're not receiving packages from there. But it's not like God gets mad and says, hey man, you're not giving me credit. I just did all this cool stuff. God uses what we have. Even negative things in us can be carefully moved so that they start to pull us in the right direction. And this is some of this, in this early phase, day two, we start to move in that direction. So, we've had day one and two, and we're dealing with essentially inert substances, or, or non-living, non-biological, water, light. But in day three, we start to see our first signs of life. So, I mean, obviously we're alive. I mean, if, if this process is beginning at a time when we can have lower concerns and higher concerns, we're, we're obviously alive. So why, why is life only showing up at day three? It ties back in to the spiritual life, the nature of spiritual life I was talking about before. So, with that in mind, let's see where the story progresses. And God said, Let the waters under heaven be gathered into one place, and let dry land appear. And so it was done. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth cause the sprouting on the earth of the tender plant, of the plant bearing its seed, of the fruit tree making the fruit that holds its seed, each in the way of its kind. And so it was done. And the earth produced the tender plant, 
the plant bearing its seed in the way of its kind, and the tree making the fruit that held its seed in the way of its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. It's cool. It's cool because if you first start to realize, oh, water has to do with mental concepts. And so whenever you see any kind of verse about the organization of water, oh, this means something. And I, it's not like I know it all. Swedenborg's whole language of correspondence is, you know, there's so much in the text, but you can say, oh, I have a sense of what this is. So isn't that a cool image then, the idea of it used to be just all water, but now we're starting to get this separation. So this state, this stage, we're talking about what does this day mean? This stage is about when our minds are organized and we actually start to change our behavior because life has to do with behavior, right? That That is what drives it. So we're looking here at going from just sort of learning to this change. Now I'm treating people in a different way. I'm approaching situations in a different way. So back to this organization of water that I thought was cool. It, it creates these divides that we all know now. We like to sit there and hang out at the beach, you know, because it's this meeting of water and land. Uh, and this is what's being, now that there's enough organization that you can actually say, this spot is water and this spot is land. And the different places are ready to do different kinds of good. And the earth that uh, is described here is us. So you had the first be gathered, we just talked about that, and the, uh, the water and the separation, and then this earth pops up. Uh, and that's, that's a description of the part of us that's ready to receive and to produce, start to receive these truths. And then you have this strange phrasing uh, that's especially strange in this translation of the tender plant, of the plant bearing its seed, of the fruit tree making the fruit that holds its seed. I mean, why, why couldn't you just say, all the plants grew? There was land and plants grew on it. Why these three kinds of plants and the, so much mentioning of seed? All plants have some kind of germination mechanism. Why mentioning the seeds there? And the reason is, and Swedenborg says this is why you get all the strange uh, prose in the Bible, is because all the details have meaning. And it doesn't, it seems, it can seem kind of clumsy, but when you understand the meaning, it becomes much more elegant. So looking at these plants, Swedenborg has a lot to say about what exactly each part of it means. In Secrets of Heaven 29, he says, uh, he gives sort of an explanation of this, this whole thing here. He says, when the earth, a person, is so well prepared as to be able to accept heavenly seed from the Lord and to produce good and truth in some degree, that is the time when the Lord first causes the sprouting of something tender, called the tender plant or grass. If you look at that, so yeah, water is one kind of part of us, uh, and then you have uh, this earth, which is, you know, earth is ready to receive seed and grow. So our mind has been organized to the point where God can start to drop these higher truths in, and they can become plants and grow. So let's go back to Secrets of Heaven uh, 29 um, and uh, finish it up from there. So uh, this is called the tender plant or grass. So that's the first sprouting. Next, he stimulates something more useful that reseeds itself the plant bearing its seed. Finally, he germinates something good, which reproduces fruitfully, the tree making the fruit that holds its seed, each of these in the way of its kind. So if you're not used to, I mean, Swedenborg will describe the, the mind like a garden or like a place where things grow. And we're not talking about plants growing in the skull. We're talking about ideas, concepts, plans of action, these things growing. You know, there's all kinds of imagery we use in day-to-day -day language about growing some kind of idea. So this, this is what 
the same language that's being used here in the text of Genesis to describe it. So you have these three different kinds of plants. And first, it's just this sprouting little thing. There's not a lot to it, not a lot of nutrition, not, not, uh, it doesn't grow huge, but it's a first little action. Something good is coming out of it. And it moves as we progress from that to the, the seed-bearing plant, as he describes it, something with, that, that can feed things and that can reproduce itself more. You know, that this one thing leads to another and we start to see life changes. But finally, it moves to what he describes as the tree with fruit. And fruit is often a symbol for, you know, did, did that bear fruit? That, that's common speech. Did, did it work? So it's this ability to work and the good actions that we do become like these fruits and that one good action can lead to a new tree and do another. That when you start to turn over these new leaves, you're right, that comes from that too, uh, you start to get this new, these new modes of operation. And this is, this is the life. This is the spiritual life because now you're doing these things. I'm not just talking about, oh, I've decided to redo the garage. If it's things for other people. It's the mindset with which you do it. It could be to redo the garage if you want to do it out of love with this sort of acknowledgement that there's a higher something. That's what brings it to life and that you're wanting to do it out from this higher perspective of love toward the whole human race rather than the inward focused on yourself or your own group or something like that. So and it kind of reminds you of uh, ecological succession. When a place gets totally wiped out, when there's nothing growing, you get these uh, you know, pioneer vegetation or pioneer flora, it's called. Where first you get these little grasses, then those make it, or you know, lichens or something even more basic, leading to grasses, to shrubs, to trees. So that's how it colonizes. The same thing happens in the mind. And that's the theme of correspondences is that what's happening in the natural world is happening in us. Everything reflects everything. And we can learn about these things we couldn't get at in other ways by seeing them in the world around us, right? So I think that that's cool, and it starts to bring this creation story into relevance right now. This is not something that happened a long time ago. This is a process that is going on for us. So with that in mind, let's start to move up now. We had the first three days. We're moving into phase two, where you have an even greater transformation in life beginning here. So let's take a look at day four. So, day four, the two great lights. You know, the first day we had this let there be light, and we're returning to light now, which this is a good time to step back a little bit and take a look at the greater arc of this story. Uh, I actually have uh, my uncle, David, is going to talk to you guys for a minute in a video we shot, because I went and saw him do this presentation on the days of creation, uh, and he had a really good perspective on how the first couple ones mirror the other ones, and he's got this some very practical examples of how he's used these concepts in his life to, to lead to these good actions, these fruits that we're talking about. So this is, a, this is just a little clip that's going to talk about where we are in the arc of the story, where it goes, and how this can show up in a 21st century life. So take a look. Okay, what I'd like to talk about is the flow in the days of creation from day to day to day. And I'd like to do it with a couple of examples. Uh, in our marriage, Jenny and I, um, we have two truths that we love to use. One is do each other every good, a Swedenborg quote, and the other one is to take 100% responsibility. Okay, so <clears throat> what I would like to do is just say that a lot of the times you start in the void like we did on a vacation one year where we are um, both thinking we deserved a vacation. Um, 
with two little babies and diapers and I'm working 60 hours a week. So I think I deserve a vacation. Jenny thinks she deserves a vacation. So we're not, it's, it's not going well. And then we decided, we stepped back, we went to those two truths, which we both knew, um, but hadn't applied them well in this kind of a situation. We know we don't want to stay down in the void on this vacation and ruin the whole darn thing, so let's talk through the way we applied those two truths. Do each other every good, you know, to get out of the void of, of blaming and complaining to doing each other every good takes a big step forward just to let there be light. Then you start sorting things out, the water's above and the water's below. How do we get to a place where we understand, yep, these things need to be done and we want to do them for each other. So doing each other every good just involves little things, changing diapers, little things, feeding them, just being there to do them without keeping score. Okay, so you start to not keep score, you start to work it out and boom, day three happens, it's full of life. You're starting to be happy, the vacation's going great. Okay, so again, we're still just doing it to shift out of the void up one level, and that's level of trying to make things work. Um, the next level is when love stirs, and uh, day four, five, and six take a parallel course to day one, two, three. You're making a shift up from let there be light to sun, moon, and stars. Um, sun being that truth full of warmth and love and heart. You're starting to do each other every good because you know, it's working and you feel it and it feels great. You're sorting things out. The waters above and below become fish and fowl. They got life to them. You know, you are feeling like doing those things. You're feeling like, you know, it feels good to do those things. And boom, day six is the same as day three, only it is just full of heart. I want to say when the, back in the days when cre creation, this story was written, it was written in poem form. Always the pivot point in these poems was the middle, and day four is the middle, and it is the huge transition in our own recreation in this story, and the pivot point is when love comes in. It sets you free, it brings you to life. Um, it makes this whole series of working yourself up, 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 feel, start to feel good, and it has a reward to it. Day seven is, doing the same things, just doing them without having to think through from the truth. You're just feeling it from the heart all the way through. I don't spend a whole lot of time. I still am working my way up those levels. I feel like day one, two, and three is the setup. Day four, five, and six fills it in with love. And I recognize clearly that there's plenty of shoots and ladders involved in this story. I, yeah, I might reach day seven once in a while. I'm hanging out in day one, four, five, and six once in a while. Lots of times I'm all the way, all the way back down the void, working my way back up. Sometimes I can climb a ladder and get up a few days and feel it again. But when you work these truths, it's easier to climb that ladder. It's a better game. There's so many cool things in there, and I really like this idea that yeah, the, the days are stacked on top of each other. Because if you look, if you look at how they're described, the first one and the fourth one are about light. Then the second and and. Uh, Fifth one have to do with water, and then you got the plant life and the animal and human life. So it is this kind of progression. And I think he phrases it really well that initially in these first three days, you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. But as we progress here, we're starting to, you've, you're turning and you actually want to be like that. So day four is pivotal. And let's take a look at the, the verse itself for day four. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to make a distinction between day and night and they will act as signals and will be used for seasons for both the days and the years. 
and they will act as lights in the expanse of the heavens to shed light on earth. And so it was done. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule by day and the smaller light to rule by night and the stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to shed light on the earth and to rule during the day and during the night and to make a distinction between light and darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. So the two great lights. During this day, love and faith are introduced. And we see them in the story as the sun and the moon. Uh, And he describes the, the greater light to rule by day and the smaller light to rule by night. And they're reversed on the screen, but I think you can connect. The greater light is the sun and the smaller light is the moon, and that's true physically. And the greater light, or the sun, is a representative of love, and the smaller light is of faith, or of truth, or knowledge. So it's the the love and the emotion and the motives behind things, and then the knowledge of doing it. And these both, the, the good and the true of both. This is coming from the higher, the higher plane into us. So these two are said to be put in the expanse of the heavens. And again, every word means something. So this expanse of the heavens is not meaning just up in the sky. It has a particular meaning, and and this to shed light on the earth means something too. Swedenborg describes it, Secrets of Heaven 30. The lights are said to be placed in the expanse of the heavens or our inner being. So that remember, the kingdom of heaven is within you. The heavens are inside us. The greater light in our will and the smaller in our intellect. So you have the sun and the moon, the lights kindled inside you, inside of us. The, the moon in the, what you would associate with the intellect or the thought and the sun in the heart or the will or the feeling. So you start to have love and faith. The faith is this idea structure. As Swedenborg uses the word faith, it, what he means is this idea structure, that this, this love of the truth or this acceptance of the truth, and that the sun or the, the love is just what you'd think, this will to do good that's coming out of God through it. Um, and there's this interesting part where it talks about to rule during the day and the night. And I, I think this is really cool. Um, hopefully you guys are digging this. I, I find these things so fascinating. To rule during the day and the night. The sun is ruling or is there during the day and the moon is there during the night. And how this shows up is night and day are also about the inner parts of us. So you can be in a state of night where things aren't going very well. Right? Or you can be in a state of day where things are going really well. Right, You can, you can kind of see that's an easy correlation. So this, the day on this spiritual kind of level is when everything's coming easy and everything's coming through love. There are times when it's not hard to do the right thing. It's not hard to want to do the right thing. The love, you seem to love people when you're supposed to. Uh, you're supposed to. You act the way you'd want to. You want to act the way you'd want to. That's, things seem good. You have this trust. You have some kind of belief in God or God's guidance or whatever. Whatever is whatever is your spiritual principles, you know that that seems to all be going well. But night is when you're struggling to believe anything. You have doubts. You have pain. You don't know if your life is going to turn out right. So in the day, it's the sun. Love guides you. But at, at night, the moon is there. And the moon, even though the sun is on the other side of the earth, the moon is this reflection in what we know. Okay, I'm not feeling it right now, but I know that there's help out there. I know things are going to get better. I know I know there is something better. And it, when it's night, you only have what you know to go on. And you got to just wait and use that to light your way until you get back to the day. 
I think that's a pretty tight metaphor. Hopefully you enjoyed it. So we had all that. Uh, so we have this light in a new living way now. So let's take a look at what starts to appear in the sky and in the sea. All right, so we've made it. It's all the way to day five, and this is when we get what is now called the living soul appearing. So the next step in the story is this. And God said, let the waters cause the creeping animal, a living soul, to creep out. And let the bird flit over the land, over the face of the expanse of the heaven. And God created the big sea creatures and every living creeping soul that the waters caused to creep out in all their kinds and every bird on the wing of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Reproduce and multiply, and fill the water in the seas, and the birds will multiply on the land. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. All right, so a lot of stuff is going on. If you're starting to hook onto the symbolism, what does it all mean? All of a sudden you have all these new characters showing up at once, these fish and these birds, and what is it? What is it? Don't worry, we're going to get to it overall. The summary of the day, this is when we realize the actual source of everything good and true in us is God. And that might seem strange that this realization of God, this realization of the role of God in our life is such a big part of this awakening, but Swedenborg goes on, this this is the linchpin for him. Uh, It has to, this is the fulcrum or whatever other mechanical reference you want to make, this is you have to have this kind of realization that we're receiving and we're in this partnership. This is what brings things to life, right? So everything, we realize the source of everything good and true as the divine, then we first start to really live. Obviously, we were living before, we may have had, you know, been a fine person, had good relationships, or whatever, uh, but this is when spiritual life starts to to get into us. Um, so uh, so then th- that's what's going to be happening over the course of this day. So Swedenborg starts to describe this uh, in uh, a very interesting way. And every once in a while on this show, when we're making too much sense or by our own estimation, we like to throw in something strange uh, because Swedenborg is full of this stuff that just is on the upper atmosphere of what you can comprehend or 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 belief that this really it's like that and this is one of those things and i love putting these in so to make it uh anyway to make it more uh visceral or something like that we put this to some imagery this is a recording of me reading something swedenborg wrote uh, with some imagery around and then we'll talk about the ideas as we get back so here it is nothing that is a person's very own has any life in it when presented to view it looks hard as bone and black Everything that comes from the Lord, on the other hand, has life. Incredibly, each word, each mental image, each scintilla of thought in an angelic spirit is alive. Passion received from the Lord, who is life itself, permeates every single thing about such a spirit. Things that come from the Lord, then, contain life because they contain faith in Him, and they are symbolized here by a living soul. Additionally, they have the equivalent of a physical body symbolized by that which moves or creeps. This information remains obscure to the human mind, but since the verse talks about a living soul that moves, I need to at least mention it. So, I don't know if you noticed that in there, but he said that thoughts and feelings are alive, and that they actually have the equivalent of a body. 
whatever that means, meaning potentially that we talk about birds, fish, you know, these kinds of things symbolizing things in the mind, but in spirit, they actually have those bodies. Swedenborg talks about in the spiritual world, thoughts and feelings, when angels are having people in the afterlife are having certain thoughts and feelings, you actually can see them as birds and as fish. And there's this linkage that that actually the, the human mind and animals, it's all linked together. So that I feel like is pretty out there, man, but it's very fascinating. So he, he even there acknowledges some of this is a little bit obscure, but I'm just telling you, this is what I've seen. It was a little even above my ability to explain, but but this is how it works. So I thought we'd tease with that and then get to some more concrete things. So in this, uh, in this day, in this description, it has these animals that pop up. We got the bird, we got big sea creatures, or it's whales in some translations, every living creeping soul. So what these all mean uh, is again going to be represented by a diagram, or if you even want to call it a diagram, a picture. So here we've got the birds up there, the the, uh, big sea creatures, the little sea creatures. And remember, the upper part is the inner self, the lower part is the outer self. We have this now, we have, as birds, you see these logical reasoning processes because they can fly, you know, if you talk about having a higher perspective, right, we use this kind of language to describe the higher uh, lofty processes of the mind. And then below you have these big things that symbolize sort of the general categories of what we know and can do and the little things which make it all up, all the little specifics that make up the generalities. And remember, this is all just like in the second day where we first differentiated the air and the water. Now they have life in them. It's not that before we go through this process, we don't have those things, logical reasoning, uh, you know, f- facts that we know, categories of things that we know. But because we have this love now, and this faith, and this connection with God, that stuff comes to life. That's what the life symbolizes. The life is not whether or not we have them, it's whether or not they're oriented in the divine design, or in this direction that's ultimately going to lead us to happiness. So that's what the picture of all this life springing up is. Uh, And so Swedenborg describes also, he talks about the phrase reproduce and multiply, which pulls up, uh, God bless them saying reproduce and multiply. So that is a picture of, we'll take a look at it right here, Secrets of Heaven 40. Everything with life from the Lord in it reproduces and multiplies beyond measure. Not so much during our physical lives, but to an astounding degree in the next life. The Lord's blessing in the Word also symbolizes fruitfulness and multiplication, because these are its results. So one of the functions of our life on this earth is that we're sort of building up spiritual life, or the rudiments or seeds or sprouts of spiritual life in us, and that there's going to be some benefit here. You're going to have less ego concerns, less kind of pettiness, worry, the things that drag us down, but also, as Swedenborg says, that he's seen through his, these experiences that he was documenting over so many years, we're going to have that stuff explode into life in the next life. The time that you spend cultivating that and working on the good things and kind of putting away the bad things will lead to this explosion of life and, and love and all this stuff. On the other side, so in this day, uh, so so in this day, you have this kind of uh, you know this springing up of life, this bringing to life, and you would be able to feel it in different ways. And I, I like what David was saying earlier that you can go from one to the other. There's times when you feel full of life, 
and everything you know it seems like love is through everything that you do and you're doing it for for good reasons and you're getting good feelings and uh life is going well and there's other times when it feels like oh i'm all the way back to the void you know i'm all the way back to day one that's all right that's part of the process just like we have cycles of seasons cycles of day and night here so in this part of our journey though we made it pretty far there's actually just one more creating day to go. Uh, and it's a doozy, so let's take a look at it. Day six is coming up now. So how can you say, this is what I would think if I was watching this show, how can you say that this story, the story of creation, is about us, about people, uh, because people are the ones who are reading it, right? It's about us, and yet people don't show up until the sixth day. So what is it? I mean, are, haven't there been people in it all along? What is this appearance of people? So, first of all, let's get to the, the initial condition. Let's take a look at the text and where I'm getting all this from, and then we'll look at its explanation. So, here is day six. And God said, Let the earth produce each living soul according to its kind the beast and that which moves, and the wild animal of the earth, each according to its kind. And so it was done. And God made each wild animal of the earth according to its kind, and each beast according to its kind, and every animal creeping on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make a human in our image after our likeness. And these will rule over the fish of the sea, and over the bird in the heavens, and over the beast, and over all the earth, and over every creeping animal that creeps on the earth. And God created the human in his image. In God's image he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Reproduce and multiply, and fill the earth and harness it and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the bird in the heavens, and over every living animal creeping on the earth. And God said, Here now I am giving you every seed-bearing plant on the face of all the earth, and every tree that has fruit. The tree that produces seed will serve you for food. And every wild animal of the earth, and every bird in the heavens, and every animal creeping on the earth, in which there is a living soul, every green plant will serve them for nourishment. And so it was done. And God saw all that he had done, and yes, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. So you can probably tell right away from the text, uh, this is going to be a long one. When you saw those tiny words appearing at the top, or if you're on your phone, you probably couldn't see them at all. Day six is huge. There's so much that goes on in it. So this day in particular, we are having to do the most skipping. I mean, everything we've had to pare down. This one, we just had to pick out a few things. There's so much in there. I would encourage you to read the book. You can download it for free, Secrets of Heaven, in the link of the description of this show. Um, check it out interesting stuff, but we're going to get to as much as we can of this day here. In general, this day is about when the awakening moves from just our thoughts into our feelings. The inner self now gains the upper hand, and the will and the intellect have a wedding of sorts. So even that can be confusing, but we'll take it step by step. Let's begin with what Swedenborg writes in Secrets of Heaven 48. So we've made it 48 numbers in when we get to this point. In the fifth stage, we speak with conviction 
an attribute of the intellect. So he's talking about the previous day. And in the process, strengthen ourselves in truth and goodness. The things we then produce have life in them and are called the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens. Okay, so that's where we were. And in the sixth stage, we act with conviction, an attribute of the intellect, and therefore with love, an attribute of the will, in speaking truth and doing good. What we then produce is called a living soul, an animal. Because this is the point at which we, we begin to act with as much with love as with conviction, we become the spiritual people who are called God's image, the very next subject. So this balance, if you've been around Swedenborg at all, when you get to the balance of love and wisdom, or of good and truth, or of these two primary elements of everything, that's when you've reached the destination. So he's saying that, for, when we get to this stage, we know what's true and what's good and what's right, and we want to do it just as much as we know it. And we have these two working together, and from that we produce all these kinds of good acts that make our lives better, make everyone's life better around us. And he gets into some specifics here uh, about the terms used in the verse. There are he talks. There are animals that the Bible talks about. It's interesting that it says here the beast and that which moves, and the wild animal of the earth. So why is there beasts and the wild animal of the earth? If if I said, hey, can I get out of the car right now? And somebody said, no, 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 there are beasts and wild animals of the earth. You probably could have just said there are beasts, right? But again, the Bible is written like this because of the meanings of each specific phrase. And briefly, Swedenborg says that beasts here, even though the word doesn't necessarily imply it in a current English translation, beasts are the good feelings of our affection. Animals are always a picture of affection. But then the wild animals of the earth are the uh, the appetites of the body, or sort of the lower kind of affections. And we have an image of it, um, you know, which, which is just some you know, light, lighter animals up there and darker, more shadowy animals down there. But the point is that there are sort of higher affections and lower ones. And I'm not making commentary on any of these specific species, but you get the idea, right? That there are these things in the inner, se- inner self that you know, feelings that are, are more civil and more loving and more fair and more just. And then there are things in the lower self that are a little more what we would call animalistic. You know, not saying that humans are superior to animals morally, but that's just how we use the word. You know, that's, oh, he's an animal, uh, you know. So, the idea is that here there are both of those and that they're, they're beginning to become organized so that the higher ones rule. And then God talks about in the Bible making the human being in our image uh, after our likeness. And Swedenborg mentioned that this is, we finally become an image of God when we have these two qualities that come from God, love and wisdom, in equal part, and they're being put towards use and love. And Swedenborg describes it in Secrets of Heaven 49, to the members of the earliest church whom the Lord addressed face, he appeared as a human being. So this is talking about, you could go back to our episode on the spiritual history of the human race. There was this direct communication between God and people back then. As a consequence, they used the term human for none but him, or for his qualities. They did not even call themselves human, accepting whatever they could tell he gave them, such as all the good embraced by love, and all the truth espoused by faith. So again, that pairing. So that we are human because God is, right? Have you heard that? Swedenborg wrote that. I think people have echoed similar sentiments across different cultures. Uh, And in this, you know, God creates people in God's image. 
right? And that, that's what that means, that we can become through living in love and faith or good and truth or knowledge and the desire to do something helpful, we can start to look look like God in how we act. And that's when we there are these humans that we are created into humans. You see what I'm saying? So I'm going to skip over a couple really quickly. Uh, male and female, it talks about, and them getting together and reproducing and multiply. I talked about these two great forces, you know, the, the good and truth, and that male and female are each an image of those, and that them getting together and multiplying is like in us, the will and the intellect getting together and producing good things. Uh, then there's talking about the, the ruling over, uh, rule over the animals of the earth. That doesn't mean people should not conserve resources and treat animals badly. It means that the higher self is going to be the one in charge. I want to do something. I want to lash out or something. I know that's not the right thing to do. It's that before, when it was the abyss back in the beginning, any it was all just snappy and petty and jealous and everything. You, if something felt good, you went with it. Didn't matter who it hurt, what it did. Now there's discipline and there's a knowledge. Hey, you know, it's not like we get rid of all the lower things and never use them. But the one calling the shots is the higher, more evolved, more altruistic, more humane part of us. So that's where we get. And then finally, we had highlighted, "I am giving you." that God is giving all this stuff to us. And Swedenborg writes about what that means. In Secrets of Heaven 59, so we made it 59 numbers in, the nourishment of the earthly self is restricted to green plants for the following reason. So God is saying, I'm giving you these green plants. It all means something. While we are being reborn, reborn, sorry, <laughs> and learning to concern ourselves with the spirit, we are in a constant battle. Maybe you have felt this battle within yourself. Up to this point, our cravings have controlled us because our whole being is cobbled together out of nothing but those cravings and the distorted ideas they spawn. Again, this is back to the abyss. And when, you know, the, the stuff we don't really want to even be doing is running our lives. And I'm sure we've all felt like that today, even at some point. It does happen. We cannot rid ourselves of those longings and distortions instantaneously during regeneration. Regeneration being this whole process we're going through. To do so would destroy us completely, since we have not yet acquired another way of life, so slowly, like biology. Consequently, evil spirits are left with us for a long time to trigger our appetites, which then break down in countless different ways and break down so thoroughly that the Lord can turn them into something good. This is the way we reform. In the time of battle, evil spirits leave us no other nourishment than the equivalent of green plants. So things are rough. You feel like you're sort of in this internal kind of warfare. It's, you're not feeling the love. You're not feeling great. And this is, this is that state it's talking about. But from time to time, the Lord gives us additional food that can be compared to seed-bearing plants and fruit trees, calm and peace with their accompanying joy and happiness. And you may have noticed, if you're trying to take what you could call a spiritual path or an ethical kind of reach outside yourself path and believe in something higher that you can reach out to. It's not like everything just gets better, does it? Actually, sometimes it can even get harder. You kind of come into this clash with these other sort of things that take up residency in you. It can be this kind of battle. And that's what Swedenborg is talking about here, that the whole process isn't just feeling good all the time, but there are these stages. And to notice that sometimes God is feeding us even during this important work of getting better, even though it's hard, we do get peace. We do get happiness. We do get these kind of things, you know. So there, even though sometimes we're just eating grass, there are other times when we get to eat things that are much more nourishing. So that's that. This, so those are the six days that we've made it through. 
and that's going all the way from this formless void, nobody else matters, it's only me, to there's a human race, I love them, I want to help them, I feel good doing things for them, my life is fuller, I understand my connection to the divine, that we have this partnership, life is better than I can ever imagine it. And so that is where we're getting to here, and it culminates in the seventh day, which seven is this special holy number with these all these different kinds of significance, and it's also the day here of rest. So let's take a look. So there's this seventh day that you actually find in the second chapter of Genesis because it's sort of a whole different paradigm that these, you know, that there's a phrase in the Bible, six days you will labor and do all your work, but the seventh, keep it holy. There's, there's this two sort of phases, the initial building and struggle and the seventh when it's over. So Swedenborg first talks about the transition from the sixth day to the seventh day in us in Secrets of Heaven 62. The periods and stages of our regeneration which, as I said, regeneration is the word he uses to describe this whole process. Both the whole process and the individual cycles within it divide into six. And these six are called our days of creation. They're our days of creation. Step by step, we advance from being non-human to being somewhat human, though only a little, then more and more so up to the sixth day when we become God's image. All the while, the Lord is constantly fighting on our behalf against evil and falsity, and through these battles strengthens us in truth and goodness. The time of conflict is when the Lord is at work, and he does not rest until love takes the lead. So in us, when love takes the lead, we've won. God has won on our behalf. Then the conflict ends. When the work progresses so far that faith is united with love, it is called very good. And since the Lord now makes us likenesses of himself. At the end of the sixth day, evil spirits retreat and good ones take their place. We are led into heaven or the paradise of heaven described in the next chapter. So wherever this takes place, whether it's in this life, whether it's in the afterlife, wherever it is, there it doesn't last forever. The hard stuff doesn't doesn't last forever. Now, Swedenborg does talk about even angels, even people going on and on in the spiritual world. It's never, you still have cycles. You still learn and grow and change. But there is a point at which overall it's better. We don't have to slog through everything that we're slogging through today. So uh, let's take a look at the biblical description, this sort of source core text for the day seven. And the heavens and the earth were completed, and their whole army. And on the seventh day, God completed the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and consecrated it, because on it he rested from all the work that he had done as God in creating it. So there you have a couple more phrases. Uh, Their whole army, sometimes it's translated other ways. Uh, we'll get to each of those highlighted sections as we always do. And let us know, you know, for this comment section, is this, does this make sense as we're going through it? Because we're trying to figure out how to communicate Swedenborg's exegesis to you guys, uh, because it's a fascinating thing to walk through. So we're going to be hopefully periodically returning to, uh, to sort of illuminating stories like this. So we want to know, is it working for you? Uh, so in this day, the struggle is over. Heavenly love now flows freely through us, guiding all of our feelings and thoughts and actions. So it's organizing everything, empowering everything. So that phrase, the whole army, 
that, that is in us, that completed in their whole army. The army is love and truth. The things that we know, the feelings we have that keep us from slipping into the ego, into the darkness. The, the, the army is not an army of uh, attack, but is an army of defense. And this, that, you know, anything, when we get to that point, Anything bad that's trying to come in, oh, you're no good at this, oh, do this kind of bad thing, believe this thing that makes you miserable, doesn't have a chance because there's so much life in there, there's so much power. So this is the whole army there. Um, and so now, and then also he describes uh, the, the effect of the rest of that verse is describing that we're heavenly people now. And it's like the rising of a sun, that there's been a real lasting change in us, and life as we know it is different and it's better. And it's still just the beginning to what's coming next, but this is the dawn of a new day in each of our lives. And we, do, uh, you know, it talks about God having completed things and God resting, and that this is because God is fighting for us in all these days. God is never, is not judging us or making notes of our progress and grading us. God is in the trenches fighting for us the whole time because that is what divine love does. So Swedenborg describes some of what it's like when we are these people. In Secrets of Heaven 83, um, the verse says that the heavens, the earth, and their whole army are completed when we become the sixth day. At this point, faith and love join forces, and when they do, love rather than faith begins to play the leading role. That is, heavenly rather than spiritual qualities take the lead. To put heavenly qualities first is to be a heavenly person. So you may know things, even great things, but what matters primarily is love. We come from love and we use the ideas to do things. And then in Secrets of Heaven 84, a heavenly person is the seventh day. And since the Lord worked through six days, that individual is called his work. So we become the, the God's masterpiece in a way then. Conflict comes to an end as a result of which the Lord is said to rest from all his work. This is why the seventh day was consecrated and named Sabbath from a Hebrew word for rest. And he goes on to describe a little bit more about, and this will be our last reading for the day, about what heavenly people are like, what we're, we can expect when we get to this phase or when we get little glimpses of it throughout life. Heavenly people act not on their own desire, but on the Lord's pleasure, which is His desire. So they are blessed with inner peace and happiness, and at the same time with outer calm and enjoyment. So this is not like God is telling, this is what you do, this is what you do, and you lose your identity. This is you're lining up with, with the divine in such a way that you are happy. Swedenborg even describes that you feel more like your own person that you ever than you ever have, even though you're more deeply connected to God. However that works, he says he's experienced it. And then finally, Secrets of Heaven 87, struggle ends when a person becomes heavenly. Evil spirits retreat, and good ones move closer to to us, he's talking about. Heavenly angels approach too, and when they are nearby, evil spirits, unable to be anywhere near, escape far away. Because we have done none of the fighting ourselves, the Lord does all the fighting for us. He is the one said to rest. So, that's the picture, that's where we're headed. So this, this opening chapter and, and a verse or two in Genesis is really uh, a summary of the whole, the story, the arc of the entire text of the Old and New Testaments, and really the arc of everything Swedenborg wrote is describing sort of this journey and the importance of it, and it's what we're, we're doing here in the world. That's why we're going through all these struggles is because we're getting out of that abyss, we're getting out of that void, and we're getting into the light, and we're getting into peace and harmony, into the way it was always meant to be.
So that's the importance of moving through these days, and that's the meaning of it. The, in that, in in my mind, that's even more exciting than that being a description of how the physical world came to be. This is a description of how we get to where we are now, where life is hard, people get hurt, you know, we experience misery, loneliness, fear, all this stuff, to getting where we are connected. Everybody wants to help everyone. Everybody has this inflow of happiness and love from God, and the truly exciting, energized life can really begin, and we can really start to see how happy created conscious beings can be when there's an infinite God who wants to make everyone happy forever, and when we all have the goal of making each other happy. So that's a pretty cool thing to shoot for, and these days are kind of a map that lets us know this is the next step, this is where we are, and it's a process that... uh, Seems like it's probably worth taking, right? Okay, so I want to hear your thoughts on it. We're going to get to questions and comments on the other side of this quick video break. All right, all right. It's time. It's that time again. Let's hear what you guys are thinking. I'm especially interested in this one because we've been discussing this sort of new concept of looking at a biblical text line by line, but hopefully it's made sense, and, and I'm going to know in a second. Let's see what, what, let's get to our first one right now. This is from YouTube. It's Blender. Hey, Blender, thanks for watching again. Uh, does Swedenborg have any text that does not rely on referring to the Bible? Certainly, yes. Um, his book, Divine Love and Wisdom, uh, has very few biblical references. He would write things, uh, with different audiences in mind. Also, even books like Heaven and Hell is is kind of a composite where he's just describing a lot of his spiritual experiences. It's really Secrets of Heaven uh, and um, Apocalypse Explained and Revelation Unveiled, as well as some of his smaller works like uh, The Lord, The White Horse, where he's exclusively looking at um, biblical text and pulling it out kind of line by line. But even within Secrets of Heaven, he'll have these subsections at the end where he just describes a topic. He'll talk about spiritual auras, or he'll talk about certain conditions in the afterlife. So, he even there, he does go on these little vacations or these tangents. So, it's not all pulling out the meaning of the Bible, but there's a lot of time devoted to it, and he says that that was part of, you know, that along with his experiences was where he got a lot of this information that he gives out. So, so no, not everything, but there's a good amount of it in there. Uh, but even within the books that are based on that, you'll find just these subsections where it goes on these, what I consider to be really interesting tangents. All right, so thanks for that. Let's take a look at our next one. This is from Lisa on YouTube. If Genesis creation is not literal, but a spiritual meaning only, then why is Adam including included in genealogies? Jesus also refers to the creation account as a literal event. Did Swedenborg believe it was a spiritual meaning only? So, that's a good question, and it pulls up a lot of thoughts that I hope I can string all together. First of all, Swedenborg wrote that everything in the Bible has this kind of symbolism. So, even the genealogies, that actually, the parts that to us seem most like they could not be symbolic— like, so-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. There were 12,000 people in this, that actually, the angels who can see the deeper meanings of it, those are the most deeply meaningful parts to them, but they're written in this language that we can barely get to. So, so having these things, these genealogies, all that, that's a spiritual meaning too. However, it's not only spiritual, as in Swedenborg does, says that some of the Bible literally happened. 
not all of it. For example, Adam and Eve, um, as the two first people that started the human race, that's not literal. However, some of the later stories of the the travels of the Israelites, those actually did happen, but at the same time, the descriptions have this spiritual meaning. Jesus really did come down and say those things. However, everything he said, he was fulfilling these prophecies that the way it's described has a spiritual meaning as well. Does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense. Um, so, uh, Jesus' words all have this same layer to them, but even more so. This is, this is the language of God, these correspondences. So, how much more would God coming on earth in Jesus uh, know this language? So, Good question, and I, th- I think I touched on a few things relevant to it there. So let's take a look at our next one. This is from Lupe on YouTube. When God says, let us create humans, not a perfect quote, who is us? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because we almost included that as one of our little things we looked at, um, but we didn't. Um, this is talking about angels. And you might say, how were there angels? Were angels always there from the beginning? But remember, this creation story is about the creation of each of us individually. So, as he referenced a few times in the text there, we are receiving from God, receiving love and truth from God. However, it often, a lot of it doesn't come directly. There's this whole system of consciousness or this hierarchy of consciousness where God is emanating that comes through heaven, through angels, down into good spirits, and then into us. It's all this interconnected web. So, it's God working with angels, even though the angels, as Swedenborg says, all want to say, listen, God is doing everything cool. We are just, uh, we're just you know, we're just being used by God. You know, we're, we're happy to be these kind of agents that, that let it happen. But God is using angels, using good people to do this process. So it's really the human race is helping itself with God directing the whole thing. So that's what the us is, is referring to in this process, as it happens for each of us, heaven is participating. So that's the us. So a great question. Okay, let's take a look at the next question. This is from Lee on YouTube. How did evolution know how to separate and individualize and imprint this very personal identification mark called a fingerprint? Furthermore, identical twins have different fingerprints yet, yet yet they are called identical. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as far as like the the specifics of how did biology come to be as it is, I don't know. I, I, you know, I I know what I've learned from from textbooks and that kind of thing, and this is why I like Swedenborg's whole explanation of this as a spiritual process because it makes me not have to know the specifics of the the evolution conversation, how exactly did everything come to be, to still uh, be able to participate in these these kind of spiritual ideas, right? So, yeah, I'm, you know, it seems to me that with the scientific study of this physical world, a lot of awesome stuff comes out of it, and we periodically revise how we believe things happened. Uh, so, could be that the current theory of natural selection, uh, remains relatively unscathed as we go forward. Could be that there are some alterations, small or large, I don't know. Um, But I love it that with Swedenborg, I can not be too worried about which way it goes, because it's not at odds like it would be with a literal, if if you were trying to believe that creation was literal like that. So, what the answer is, there's some good answer, and it's out there. So, great. Thanks for that thought. Okay, next thing. This is from Karen on YouTube. The Swedenborg talk about the way Satan looked. The Bible says he was beautiful. I think that if you're talking about the beauty of Satan, or uh, Satan being like a personification of evil, 
You know, the Swedenborg, they, they, in the Bible, Satan is mentioned, that's a symbol for something too. That this is evil in the human heart, or the devil. And that the beauty of that is, you look around, look at the news, look how people act toward each other. There is an allure in evil, a lot of the time. Thing, the dominant, dominant things, harmful things, can ha- the, 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 the craving for power can have this allure. Like you think, oh, I want that so badly. Uh, you know, various harmful kinds of lust, these kinds of things. Oh, this, the, it has this beauty to it, but yet it's so destructive. I think, to me, that's the beauty of Satan. Swedenborg certainly does talk about evil spirits uh, being able to put up fronts and try to appear charming externally, even though inside they're, they're, they're really just not very nice. Uh, so, that's what I have to say about the beauty of Satan. <laughs> so, thank you very much for that question. Let's take a look at another one. This is Drive-By Poet on YouTube. If a person's goodness isn't their own and comes from the Lord, then what does come from a person and what are they? Does a person's evil come from him or herself, the Lord, or something else? It's a great question. Um, what is a person? Obviously, and this is a question that I think isn't even clear to me having read a lot of Swedenborg. Swedenborg talks about one of the most surprising things he ever learned when he began to have spiritual experiences was how much we are influenced by the outside, that we are actually a confluence of good coming from the Lord and evil coming from hell. The good things flow in from the Lord in heaven, evil things flowing in from the Lord in hell. However, that evil is actually good from the Lord that hell as a mechanism kind of perverts and twists. It doesn't self-generate evil. So, you have this kind of meeting in the middle. So, are we just nothing then? No, because every individual is unique. Swedenborg says emphatically that everybody is unique. So, if you have no moving parts, you can't be unique. And also, we have enough free will and choice and agency on our own that we can end up, you know, choosing the hellish path, which God is trying hard to pull us against. So, it's not like that... um, it's something that's that's all of the... We are part of this larger communal thing, but we are ourselves individually. Now, the evil, Swedenborg calls it our own, but that's just, it means it feels like our own and we claim it as our own. Everything is influenced. You, you look at life and, and culture and how much we're influenced by the people we're around. It's, it's sort of like that. There is something that's us. I don't quite understand the whole thing, um, but it's something good. The, the life in us is from God, but it's not like... God could just pull it away. Like, this is a permanent gift that God is is giving to us every moment. And that somehow, the reality of it is cool. It's something that we will be happy once we understand. That's all I can really think of. But that I would encourage you to look look some in, in Swedenborg's works and how he describes it, because there does seem to be elements of all of the above. Um, so, that's my answer to that. Um, and I think it's a great question, and somehow it's key to everything. You know, that, that he says, if we just believe that really things are flowing in, we'd be saved in a moment you know, from all the struggles we have. And I do know that for me, it's been a very potent tool. When I was first a teenager, and I came across in Swedenborg's work this idea that, um, you know, things flow in. I didn't like that, because, well, how, where's my originality? What am I? But, but I like it a lot now, because when I apply that just to specific thoughts and feelings, it makes letting go of negative things so much easier. It actually makes life better. Uh, so somehow it's a healing principle. And I, I feel like I have some trust and confidence that it's, God didn't just make us 
you know, God wants a partnership with us, and you can't have a partnership with nothing. And and God doesn't want to feel us to feel like nothing. And He knows there's this there's this feeling in us of oh, I, I want to be something. I want to be important in some way. So I think it's all going to be good. And I had a lot to say on that because it's something I think about. And at the same time, there's something so liberating in the idea that um, there are sources to the things that come into us. Those are my thoughts. Uh, if anyone else has thoughts, feel free to share them there. I'm sure everyone would have good things to add to that. So let's take a look at the next one. This is from Barb on YouTube. Hey, Barb, during the day, daylight, we can see things clearly. At night, not so much. We have to accept things more on faith, the moon. Exactly. I mean, that, that's probably said better than how I said it when I was describing the sun and the moon. That we, that, and, and I would say I just gave an example of that. That I that this what are we are we anything are we nothing? There's an there's an element of me understanding that there's an element of of it's the moon it's reflected light it's faith that I know something good there's some good answer so I'm gonna instead of letting that wig me out like what what is this am I anything is Swedenborg I, there's something good coming so so that would be an example of me being led some by the sun by the feeling of love that it gives me to think God is moving through me or I don't this evil's not a part of me I don't need to worry about it um, but then there's some faith that it's going to turn out all right. So that's a great, great point. So let's take a look at our next one. This is again from Blender on YouTube. If Swedenborg lived during our time, do you think his focus on the Bible would be as much? I don't know. Now, it's interesting that he focuses on the Bible, but as we looked at a couple episodes ago, the Bible is one in a long chain of revelations. Um, And he says that originally nature was the revelation that you can... uh, if you knew the language, you could learn the same things from it. So I don't know if, you know, he, he seems to see that the, the Bible is this completely potent totality of information, but it could be that that if were he alive today or in a different culture, he would have focused on other things. I don't know. The Bible seems to be very important to him, but there are other sources and, and that God can show up in other places. So it's a great question. I don't have a, a perfect answer to it. So we're just going to get to two more here. Uh, this next one is from Lee. What does Swedenborg say about Lucifer in the creation? So again, Swedenborg sees Lucifer or Satan or the devil as um, a picture of evil in the human heart. So this came in that this came in at some point, and that this is. And, but as far as how did the first, he describes sort of the process of the first evil coming in, people starting to long for each other's possessions, wanting to have power and dominance, and, and part of it was this believing, oh, life comes from me, like I, I am my own thing, I, I'm not connected to a larger whole, uh, I'm not connected to the human race, I'm not connected to God. As far as like how did the first person go evil, I think I've said this before on the show, we don't know. We don't know how that went on, um, or I, I don't think he describes it in detail, but that would be the inception of, of Lucifer. And I would like to talk about, you know, the snake in the Garden of Eden, that that's sort of about it, um, and it had to do with our self. Oh, and actually, that Adam and Eve story gets pretty deeply into it. It has to do with our sense of self-sufficiency and how that turned us toward the kind of evils that we have. So that would, pro- hopefully, if we come back and do another episode like this, we could get into a story that, that talks about that. But there's a little bit on it for now. Okay, so this is our last one. This is going to be from Lisa, YouTube. And who was the first person, and how, what were they like, given there were no outside influences? Now, so Swedenborg, you know, just doesn't describe the human race as starting from individual people. However, if you do think that, um, 
you know, there's an evolution of consciousness. We, when did there first be a tr- transition to a being that could be self-conscious and could be, and where did that come from and what kind of, you know, you're, you're outside my scope of knowledge. Swedenborg doesn't get into the specifics. It's great to think about. You could probably lose your mind trying to figure it out. So <laughs> caution, but, but I don't know. And these are the questions that uh, it's fun to ask and, and maybe someday the human race will learn them. And I would imagine you could figure them out uh, once you uh, tap into the kind of spiritual knowledge on the other side or here when you get to these phases. So that's what I want to say. I always enjoy the questions we get from everyone. I appreciate the people who, who uh, show up week to week. If you enjoyed this show, please give us a thumbs up. Please like this on YouTube now because that helps YouTube know that this is something cool and then uh, it spreads it to other people so they can come and and watch every week and ask their own questions. Also, I want to say thanks to everyone who's been making donations. Uh, That that is what makes the show possible. If you guys want to donate, support the show, it can be small, it can be big, it's all tax deductible and every bit counts. Uh, Just open up the description of this and there's a link that'll take you there. So happy to have you guys participating, happy this week. Next week, we are going to take a look at angels. And we're just talking about, you know, if there was one, the first person, how were their thoughts affected? Who were they influenced by? We're going to, and we had these other questions about, you know, where do our influences come from? What are we? Well, next week, we're going to fortuitously delve into that a bit. We're going to look at how angels affect our thoughts. I'll see you then.